the usual, sir? Please. Even after 500 plays, our high-fidelity tape. Oh, man, I'm excited for the show. Um, Millie's definitely one of my favorite people. Yeah, I mean, after uh, after talking to her, I just wanted to be friends with her, you know? Oh, she's totally like that. Um, anyone that doesn't love her is suspect. But first, I think we have to address last week's show. There were some strong feelings about the episode, <laughs> uh, which you know I appreciate. Yeah, Aaron feels that wizards just uh, weren't well represented. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. Okay, wizard. All you have to decide what to do with the time that is given to you that's literally the slowest jibber jabber i've ever fucking heard <laughs> no one no one knows what that means no one knows what that means gandalf is a wizard <laughs> and he gives you advice you know from time to time and that's what frodo needed because the ring you know he's got to get that ring into uh, mordor like really fast frodo! no sam Go back, Sam! And then he's all sad because it's BFF Sam. I'm going to Mordor alone. Of course you are. He's probably the nicest hobbit. Then I'm coming with you! He can't go. <laughs> so Gandalf said stuff with his mind, and it really helped Frodo out. <laughs> also, by the way, there were dragons and Goblet of Fire. Just saying. <laughs> I feel like perhaps you'd like to register a complaint. Harry Potter is good. I don't even want to hear it from you because you've watched it at least a billion times with me. I know you wish you were enrolled at Hogwarts. With my fellow Hufflepuffs. Hufflepuffs? <laughs> well, Chris, as a Hufflepuff, I hate to say it, but I think you'd be a Slytherin. Actually, I guess we'd both be Slytherin. Nope, you'd be a Ravenclaw. Nobody's Ravenclaw. I don't, no one ever talks about them. Yes, they do. They're very witty and have lots of wisdom. What on earth is a Slytherin? <laughs> okay, okay. A Slytherin is like being a Scorpio, except you've got this really bad tattoo that lights up. Plus, they can turn into smoke machine monsters. That doesn't sound like the right place for me, but Aaron, <laughs> you know this week's episode has absolutely nothing to do with dragons. I am most excited about GOT. Oh, that's tonight, right? And Game of Thrones also has dragons. Have dragons actually started showing up yet? You've seen them for a long time. They were, um, they're these like eggs. They're kind of, now they're teenager dragons and they're just flying around acting out. <laughs> I, I am sort of curious about that. What, dragon eggs? There's three of them and my favorite one is named Drogon. No, 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 no. The, the show itself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just wish I got more of the jokes on that one, you know. My friend John Ortved um, is a writer and he just did this glossary of Game of Thrones for uh, The New Yorker. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that was amazing. Let me pull that up. Hold on. Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, but I can tell it would be a lot funnier if I would suffer through the show itself. <laughs> Hold on. I, oh, yeah, I got it. Uh, here it is. There is only one God, and his name is Death. Translation. Welcome to Soul Cycle. <laughs> yeah, man, there's a bunch of them. It's super funny. It's super funny. You should talk to him about the uh, about the Thrones. Maybe he could explain why it's worth watching. I mean, would he come on the pod? Yeah, maybe. I'll, I'll email him. So this guy, John, he likes Game of Thrones, too? Yeah. All right, awesome. I think I'm done here. <laughs> All right. Thanks, babe. All right. Bye. Hi there. Can you hear everything okay? I can hear great. Okay, you sound good too, right? We're good? Yeah, yeah, okay. sounds nice. Last week on the show, we we kind of, or well, I definitely denounced all things like Game of Thrones, uh, mm -hmm. dragons, Harry Potter, all that. That just doesn't interest me at all. Mm -hmm. I personally wanted to ask you, 
why do so many like smart New Yorkers like that show? What do you think appeals to them so much about the show? I mean, HBO has a long history of creating complicated, interesting shows that show a lot of boobs. And (laughs) I think Game of Thrones fits well into that. You know, it's a culmination of of a certain kind of a fantasy timeline. One of the reasons that the Narnia movies have been considerable failures compared to other fantasy stories before them is because you can't have a movie with CGI like that, an action like that, after you've had Lord of the Rings. Because Lord of the Rings came before and was so much better. Yeah. What we needed in the realm of fantasy was something that felt both real, where, where the, the magic part felt real. I think they really succeeded everything between the staging and the setting and the costumes and then the great writing on Game of Thrones really achieved that. It was for a lot of us, it was the fantasy we'd been waiting for. Would you call yourself like a fantasy head in general? Or no. does this show, this show particularly appeals to you? I like fantasy films, but I, I don't care much for science fiction. And I like more the medieval fantasy stuff, but I never played Dungeons and Dragons. I've never read Lord of the Rings. I'm not a fantasy head, but this show, for those of us who like Shakespeare and particularly the play Macbeth, this play speaks to a lot of those themes and a lot of those ideas. And also there's nudity and absurd violence, which all TV and all film to some extent is made for 14-year-old boys. And this hits that right that nail right on the head. Game of Thrones is, is a mix of high and low. Shakespeare mixed with titties and no, violence. No, I mean, Shakespeare is a little too generous. But I mean, those really deep themes about betrayal and ambition and family and lust, they have sort of deep interrogations of these things. And a lot of fantasy, I mean, you could point to Lord of the Rings, doesn't have that. It's lighter. Yeah, you at no point do you ever think that in Lord of the Rings, the ranger is going to switch sides and kill everybody. But you never know what's going to happen in Game of Thrones. You don't know how characters are going to develop. And that's, that's what changes it from a soap opera to a drama, that the characters are actually interesting and can develop in a number of different ways. Have you been a diehard since the season one, or did it take you some time to kind of get into it? No, I liked it from season one. That pilot episode is fantastic. We have, I think we have a deep-seated expectation of television that, it'll, that it's a family thing. It's something we watch with our family, and I think they start in the family home, and it's from that, those very first moments that family feels real. Wow, John, I got to tell you, man, you're really opening my eyes here. <laughs> Haley was watching it last night, and I had to go in the other room and just use my computer because I was so disinterested. I think the moment you bring in dragons or you bring in fire water or zombies, which are effectively what the White Walkers are, people tune out, um, except they've created this world that those things feel real within that world. And I think that's the key to any fiction. Things don't have to follow the laws of physics or the, or the rules as long as they make sense in that world. And I think they've created this richly textured, violent world where because the dragon looks real and because the dragon behaves the way a dragon could or would, we believe it. You're blowing my mind, man. You really thought about this. Well, it's true in a lot of fictions. Like Harry Potter makes so much sense to kids and really captured kids because really it's about school and it's about how kids behave and how kids make friends. I think you're able to get on board with the weird wordsmithery. You know, people talking about Westeros or winter is coming and you know all these little catchphrases that I've definitely heard a bunch even though I have not watched the show at all. I see it as as an outpouring of I mean the very they set themselves up in these houses which anyone who's watched the movie Braveheart or who has studied any history you see these clan formations and and I think that that's part of what sediments it into a real feeling world. I I think I they hear make you. it work between the performance and the writing. I think I'm also responding to the fact that like in your post you have 
winter is coming translation SantaCon is this weekend <laughs> and it's and that's very funny to me but i could also tell that there's something even funnier about it if i did watch the show yeah i think i mean winter is coming is one of the first things we hear and it's sort of this code word that people in the north use to kind of it's sort of like the end is nigh, and 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 it, I mean, it literally means these zombies are coming. But it's also this thing I think that hits us all, where there's so much mythology from from Norse mythology on down to Christian mythology, where we're all heading towards the end, like the end is coming, and this is what we're all preparing for. And I think that actually hits people, especially Americans who have their version of Ragnarok like pounded into them from the first day of school or church. Ra- is Ragnarok a real thing, or is that a John Hodgman invention? No, Ragnarok is the, like the end of the world for the Norse, for the Vikings. And the Christians have revelation. And this stuff is so pounded into us from such a young age that when they start off a show with winter is coming and there's this end coming, I think we all tune into it on a pretty deep level or we recognize it pretty quickly. I haven't really thought about it uh, quite that way. Like, What goes through your mind if you heard two idiots making fun of Game of Thrones? I mean, would their jokes be funny? <laughs> Let's say, for example, maybe it's me and James. For example. I mean, I think there's tons to make fun of in this show. I mean, there are people are running around with swords. It's kind of funny. It's definitely selling tickets. HBO Now. So I need to ask you about the episode last night. Okay. So I just need you to kind of break down what happens. I think what Chris is most interested in is just knowing whatever it is he would need to know to make it seem like he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, just an elevator pitch. So if somebody brings it up, I could just fire off my knowledge that I learned from you. I think that's an actually really interesting thing. It's because when you watch this show, I have like a Sunday, I have like a, a nerd group who on Sundays, we cook dinner at our friend's apartment and we watch the show together. It's really funny when someone comes in who hasn't seen the show because they're, it, it, the plots are so so thick that it's really, you can't just explain who a character is. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not good guys and bad guys. It's, I don't think I could do the show or you justice by filling you in. There's too many characters. There's too many side plots. I, I couldn't do it justice. I don't, honestly, I don't think I could make it through an episode. Like, do you like Star Wars? No, 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 no. Anything fantastic, anything. Do you like Neuromancer? Do you, do you know what that is? No. <laughs> well, so Neuromancer is a science fiction book written, um, it started from a, a short story William Gibson wrote in the 70s, and he made it into a book in the 80s. And he's written tons of science fiction books, but that's the one he's most famous for. And it's quite a high-minded novel, despite the fact it's science fiction. I feel stupid even saying despite. There's a whole genre of literary science yeah, fiction. Maybe that is- what you need is, speaking of William Gibson, maybe you need The Difference Engine. Because it's very steampunk. Oh, perfect. That's my favorite thing. Yeah, so, I mean, we're getting a little closer. So it's punk. It's got something that you can identify with. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not really. Early tech. So people have, like, weird brass devices and, like, <laughs> like a little more primitive technology. <laughs> and it's high fashion. Very sartorially sorted out. These guys have a lot of floofy scarf texture and stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's like a real look. Maybe the difference engine. That's where we should start you. You didn't sell me very well on that. I'm going to have to take John on this one personally. But I mean, I think that your outlook on Game of Thrones is is refreshing, John. I think it really gave me it, I've never heard someone talk about it so eloquently, to be honest. Oh, I'm glad. I think that if you were brought up on stories about King Arthur and, and if you were brought up on, you know, on even The Hobbit, which I love when you're brought up on those things and then you throw it in with notions of Greek mythology and and. And, and Middle Ages history and then Viking stuff, I, it's kind of irresistible to me. And they, I think George R. R. Martin's his skill is with bringing those worlds together. 
I think there's just, I I haven't read the books. I'm not, I don't read a lot of fantasy, but the writing on the show and the the set design and the costumes and the acting, they've made all those things work into this beautiful punch that I I drink every week. Mm. Mm. Talk that talk, John. Um, (laughs) Well, thank you for talking to us. It it really was enlightening. This is perfect. This is exactly what we were looking to get. So thank you for your time. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Bye, guys. Yeah, I mean, wow, that's a lot of information. Um, By the way, there is no way we're putting a warning in this about hearing something about the show. (laughs) Wait, wait, uh, you can't even say the word spoilers? I refuse. I will. I'll never say that word. I'm not saying it right now. I could say it right now, and I'm not going to say it. I agree. You know, people concerned with spoilers should just unsubscribe from the pod. Exactly. Yeah, we're good, fam. Like, <laughs> we're good. You're not my target demo. How do we? How do we transition to Millie's episode? I don't think there's much of a connection between dragons and Millie's stories. There isn't any connection at all and that's another reason why dragons don't matter and if it was up to me we'd never talk to about them again ever again just put the smith song on and we'll move on all right all right you're listening to public announcement i'm james ellis and I'm Chris Black. Uh, today, we're talking to my old friend, Millie DeChirico, manager of programming at Turner Classic Movies. Turner Classic Movies, that's it. And before that, she was the general manager and music director for Atlanta's WRAS 88.5, the college radio station of Georgia State University. It was, at the time, one of the most powerful student-run stations in the world. Most people don't realize that 100,000 watts is the most powerful a radio station can be. It's true, yeah. Um, but you could say they uh, they burned down the disco, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say that, <laughs> I guess. Uh, actually, you know, a few years back, uh, Georgia State made a deal that turned 88.5 over to Georgia Public Broadcasting, which is like the local NPR affiliate, right? Um, at least during the daytime. And at night, it might still be college radio. It's such a sadness, though. I mean, I love public radio, but when you're a kid, you know, the music, uh, the music they constantly play says nothing to me about my life. But yeah, I mean, when you're a kid, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear from NPR adults. You want to hear from your peers. Oh, I totally agree. And that's what uh, that's what Album 88 was. It was students turning out maximum weird radio all day, every day. Because the station was so powerful, everyone around Atlanta could hear it. Yeah, you got to do it that way, though, man. Because, you know, Atlanta is a big, sprawling city. You got to flex that wattage. There are loads of people outside the perimeter. OTP. And that was us growing up, OTP. OTP. Yeah, we were those teen <laughs> rangers outside Atlanta when Millie was, you know, when she was on the radio. Yeah, she had a show that I loved, listened to religiously. Real mixed bag, those shows, though, man. Yeah, I mean, sure, you wanted to hang a lot of the DJs. <laughs> I mean, there was always some like, uh, it's like a world music show or whatever, you know. I, yeah, Jim, put uh, put something from Crocodile Dundee. That's that's all I can think of for world music. <laughs> Sorry, man. Sorry. Yes, yes, exactly. You're killing. Oh, come on, no, that's that's too good. I actually like that song. But yeah, I mean, you did have to suffer through, you know, a lot of weird, boring shows. Indo-Chilean grindcore. Maybe or some primitive fugitive folk rock. <laughs> fusion anything, man. I, I fuck anything fusion. I mean, there were shows you loved, 
some that were too strong. But um, either way, I mean, you were glad 88.5 existed. Yeah, man, you're, you're all the way out in Conyers, Georgia, pre-internet, no Shazam. You had to find cool radio to know something besides garbage like Bush exists. <laughs> I almost forgot about the Bush. Razor blade suitcase, fam. Never, for, <laughs> never forget. God, that band sucked. They truly sucked. I was thinking about that time, you know, the mid-90s. Oh, you're thinking about it? You were uh, wondering to yourself. Yeah, exactly, man. I was trying to remember what Millie's show sounded like, and then it occurred to me she probably has the tape. She's like that kind of person. Oh, my God, that would be amazing. Yeah, it'd probably sound pretty funny, like child on the radio. I mean, at the time, though, it was... I don't don't remember it sounding like a child, though. To me, I think it was... It sounded, like, sophisticated. It was that sound, you know? What, and you texted Millie. She sent you the tapes from when she was on 885? Yeah, man. After we talked, you know, I, I checked to see if she had anything like that laying around, and she did. And then she sent me a bunch of it. Wow, that was that was fast. UPS, Playboy. Best way to move product. How's it sound? Oh, I, don't, I don't have any way to play them. You just have these tapes? I, I don't have a way either. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say I don't even have a record player anymore. But how do you play your fun size 7 inches? I'm sure you, of all people, have a friend with a tape player on deck. Yeah, I mean, actually, yeah, it's the uh, Burger Records era. All right, we're here. Put it in, and let's, let's see what we got. All right, all right, all right. Yo, man, this is bringing me back. This is tight. <laughs> I forgot all about rewinding, fast-forwarding. It's the worst. It's the worst. Give me CDs or give me death. Yeah, I mean my kingdom for an MP3, man. Give me a compressed MP3 all day, baby. All day. 128, man. I'll Just, take okay, I'll take 128. The way music was meant to sound. On some Apple ear pods. Set me up. <laughs> no, don't actually re-record on top of that. Hi, this is Coolio. Can you buy these at Turtles? <laughs> just pick these up, you know, and I um, put them on, sit down on my couch, and just have my hair blown back. <laughs> it's dangerous. Are these actually Max L, though? We need to check that. Because <laughs> I only want name brand tape. R.I.P., man. Connors, Georgia. Cherry Blossoms, Max L, it's all gone. Request 404 yes, exactly. or if you just have any comments or questions, you can also email yeah, us. Get to the alright, 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 hold up. Man. You know I haven't used one of these fucking things in a long time. You know they're coming back around. Tape players aren't cool, just for the record. It is one minute past <laughs> 2 p.m. here at WRAS Atlanta. 88.5 is the 100,000 watt. All student run voice of Georgia State University, and you are tuned in to Hang the DJ. You've got any requests, 404 651 4488, or if you just have any comments or questions, you can also email us at hangthedj at mindspring.com. There you go. We're going to get back into music now. Here is requested Belle and Sebastian coming off of Tiger Milk, and um, they said I can pick, so I'm picking the song We Rule the School. And yes, we do. That's so perfect. You know, it's interesting what she does now 
and what she did then um, are so similar. She is choosing what people get to listen to or see. Yeah, it's the curator role. You know, that industry, when she was in it, was doing pretty well, but has since declined. That radio world has ended for sure. I think one thing I love about Millie, though, is that she's an example of how that skill set translates to these other industries or to a similar field anyway. You've got film, I mean, movies, and then you have the traditional radio world. And I think it's okay that one of those maybe doesn't exist in the same form that it did before. Hey, man, things change. <laughs> I'm just happy that someone that I personally know has great taste is in a position to influence younger people. And we need you to be running radio stations and television stations and... Yeah, truly touching the people, not touching the people on Instagram. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very different time. It's a very different game, and I, I think that. Um, I think we just get to the conversation with Millie, and uh, pepper these in, maybe. Hang the DJ. Yeah, we could do that. Hang the DJ. We could pepper them. All right, here we go. Okay, so I was born in California, in oh, I San. I didn't know that. Yeah, in San Diego. Shaka. Weird thing, though. I only lived there for like six months. I immediately was taken from San Diego and like we all moved to Chicago. My dad is in the military, so there's a oh, lot of okay, lot okay. of different stops. And then at some point we moved to Atlanta. I want to say I was like 13 or 14 when I moved. From oh, so most of your formative years were here. Oh yeah, I will say yeah, I I tell people I'll say I'm from Atlanta. Yeah, of course. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you should probably introduce yourself. Sure. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm a programmer at Turner Classic Movies. And what's your makeup as far as racially? Yeah, so my dad is from Italy. He moved to America when he was about 15, 16 years old. And then my mom is from the Philippines. And she met my dad when he was in the military. Then moved here when, you know, they got married. So she's probably like 22, 23. All right, I just want to get that out of the way, you know. Thanks. I uh, <laughs> appreciate that. It's interesting because I feel like I'm a Southerner because I've lived in the South pretty much my entire life. Yeah. But then I have this like crazy immigrant family. So you were in middle school and high school were in the suburbs of Atlanta, correct? Right. Marietta. So I went to Lassiter High School, which was strange because I'm sure it, it's probably changed. But at the time, it was like 98% white. Marietta was weird because it was like there was a lot of like kind of preppy people. Yeah bougie white kids so it was really sh extra strange in middle school is that when it all starts is that when music becomes something that is a big part of your life it was that early for you yes and it's purely based on watching television and movies my parents were not into music at all i me too yeah no, they no. were like total squares they were not <laughs> they had like 10 albums maybe thriller and they had like Learning to Crawl by the Pretenders, a police yeah. record. Oh, I just heard that on the modern radio and I bought the record. Yeah. Uh, they were not music people. They were not movie people. To this day, like my dad will watch like any movie that was based on a Saturday Night Live thing. So they're not into culture at all. So everything that I got into was based off of stuff that I was watching on television or MTV or movies or friends or something. I remember moving to town and then it was like you had this sense that maybe I had some new information. Because he was coming from Richmond and he knew all this stuff that I didn't know. So he introduced it to me and, and that's that's how I found out about all of it, really. Yeah, and those types are really important. Like the new dude in school who's like punk and cool and he comes in and everyone's like, what's this dude about? But then you're like, man, that guy's awesome. I totally want to hang out with him. Those people are really important. 
I'm all about gatekeepers, yeah. cultural gatekeepers. <laughs> At the time, you don't. It's just something new, so you're so excited, and you have no idea that it's affected our entire lives. Goodness, I only have like um, 50 minutes left. Yep. So I gotta go pack them in now. Yep. Nothing but two-minute wonders now. <laughs> what I'm actually gonna do right now is do um, the ode to the heat and rock block. This is for April, who has seen the bare butt of uh, Paul Heaton and has photo documentation of that. So. Definitely knew that I was exiting. It hit me one day that I sort of wanted to go out and experience like transgressive things. The kids in the hall and the young ones, like the references that they were making and like watching MTV. Who are these people? Yeah. We have to remember it was word of mouth culture because yeah. there was no internet. So it was very difficult. It required a lot of effort, you mm -hmm. know? I remember watching an episode of the kids in the hall where Dave Foley is, his character is wearing a Smith's t-shirt. And I was like, what is that? What are you shopping for records or something? I guess. It was very 80s. Well, are we going to shoot some track or what? Because, I mean, if we're going to shoot, we got to shake it, man. John Hughes movies. And it's like everything that I was sort of learning about was The Smiths, The Cure, R.E.M., you know, those like kind of like 80s new wave bands. Well, there's a lot more to it than music. There's the look and the attitude. That's as important when you're 15. Willfully different. What? Yes, you're, you're making that decision. I bought a ministry shirt when I was in middle school. That first ministry record's pretty uh, tight. What? Cool. <laughs> you know, it was the kind of thing where I was like, okay, like I like ministry, but really I just want the ministry shirt so that everyone knows that I'm into weird shit. Absolutely. It's, a, it's yeah. a signifier. It's a exactly. billboard. Like I'm into this. This is. It was, yeah, it was more about just signifying yourself. It wasn't about like, you know, I want it. I want this because I'm a huge fan. It was just like anything weird. I remember wearing it to school a bunch and then like my preppy sports friends that I used to play like softball and tennis with were like, what? what's that? What's that shirt mean? And I'm like, you don't get it. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's cool. What? Yeah, I was probably in seventh grade. The love, the love. At some point, yeah, there was a separation between me and my old friends, and I felt it. Like, there was my one of my best friends, this girl Dawn. I think it was like, it was almost like we had to talk about it. She was just like, you're just like turning into a weirdo. And well, if your name is Dawn, <laughs> I can tell you you don't like ministry. Yeah. I can, no, no question there. Yeah, yeah. And like, uh, I remember the Pixies were like a huge, huge band for me, like in middle school, where there was this lifeguard at the pool of my friend's neighborhood. I love this. I know. He was like, he was like a surfer dude. I mean, he was, for some reason, had gotten into cool stuff. He made us a tape of Doolittle. We listened to it like every day after school. Wore it out. Yeah, wore it out. Were you the one introducing people to this stuff? Or do you know what I mean? You know, I don't think so. I always felt like it was the opposite. Like I wanted to be around people who were like super goth, super punk, you know, like 
like dudes and women who were just kind of like really extreme. And I always felt like I wasn't extreme enough. You didn't have a mohawk with Elmer's glue? No, I didn't want I didn't want like tattoos and poser. I have it in my heart. I just don't want to, you know. I felt like I was more of the student than the teacher. I was learning from cooler people. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. I'm going to play some more music in just a second, but I'm going to play the last public service announcements I will ever play in my life. Do you know your fourth freedom? Most of us name the big three, free speech, free press, and freedom of religious expression. But the fourth is just as important. Think about it. I love you, John Whitehead. I want to marry you. I fell in love with him during the course of uh, my, my work here at Album 88. And I actually went as far as getting that little pocket constitution. You know how they advertise for that? The Rutherford Institute, they will give you a free pocket constitution, which I carry around with me everywhere, just in case I need to know my rights and everything. So. This has been a public service announcement from the Rutherford Institute. Right. The cliques and the and the groups are, are very defined mm-hmm. in high school. And was there more of you in high school? Like, did you have a nice size gang of people who were interested in the same films and music as you were? Or were you kind of out there on your own? I will say that I felt alone in, in my interests, save for like a few folks. All throughout growing up in, you know, the 80s and stuff, you see things like, a John Hughes movie, and you were like, oh, so there's rich people, and then there's punks, right? And it's a very, it's like one or the other. Then when I was in school, I was expecting that that was what was going to happen. Like it was, I had decided I was a weirdo, and then I was going to have all these other weirdos. It ended up not being that way at all. And I believe it's because of the commercialization of alternative music. Like I feel like that got really complicated. So in my school, there was like, the rich popular people who were not into anything. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what a gravestone. Jesus yeah. Christ. Rich popular, not into anything. <laughs> Goodbye. What are you into? Nothing. Nothing. No, not into no, it. No. Zero. Then there was this crew of popular kids that somehow got into like skate punk. So they were listening to Nirvana and they were listening to, you know, kind of like that California skate punk shit, like no effects and everything. Sure, sure. Operation Ivy, all that stuff. You mean my favorite band? <laughs> I'll sing a verse of Sound System right oh, now. Oh, I know. If I, you want me to. You I, know that about I me. I will revisit that from time <laughs> to time. So it was weird because they were still, like, they were assholes. That was the weird part. And I thought, oh, we're supposed to be in this group together because we kind of like the same stuff. But they were assholes. It wasn't inclusive. They didn't make it, you feel welcome. No, no because... I was like, holy shit, like we're really outliers here. Like I was at the lunch table with extremely goth guy, this like weird burnout skater guy, like the one, the skater guy that like none of the other skater guys liked. Two skater for skaters. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like huffing glue type dude. We were like the ultimate weirdos, like that we had gotten rejected from like the popular weirdos. And I felt like I had grown up thinking that there were not popular weirdos. There were only just weirdos, you know? 
That's a strong level of othering. A lot of othering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in in high school, were you seeing music? Were you going to shows? Were you doing all of that? Like, what were you doing in your free time, I guess, you know? I was coming into Atlanta, like, every chance I could. Like, yeah. every chance. Every weekend. I would go to places that don't even exist anymore, like the Rec Room and the Somber Reptile and the Point um, to see music. I Defy House? Oh, I Defy. I've been to a few times. But I didn't go there as much because the popular weirdos would go there. And then also just going to like Criminal Records, Oxford Books, um, places where like they would have transgressive media, like weird movies, comics, magazines, like anywhere. I mean, I wanted to not be in Marietta at all. I wanted to just be downtown and go to Fellini's and Eats, which were the only two places to eat downtown in, in high school and just like be amongst your people, but not the high school people. Like I wanted to be with the real city people. I remember being like 12 or 13 and being at a show and talking to Gavin Frederick. Oh yeah. Hi, I like no effects. Please tell me what I should buy. I have $10. Oh, he would feed me the right stuff. Yeah. I remember that was like, I, I want more of this. More, 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 more. Totally. I, that's why I was talking earlier about these cultural gatekeepers. It used to be that you would just go find the dudes that were running the shows, running the record stores, running the video stores, and you would just sit there all day. Find out what they were into. Hear them talk that shit about this sucks, this rules, like you know, it's that whole thing. And I figured out, you know, what I liked. And there was this video store in town that was in Little Five Points called um, Blast Off Video. I remember It was that. in the alleyway, um, almost like next to Clothing Warehouse. Okay. It was kind of, it was on Euclid. Um, the guy that ran it was, I mean, I think about this now and I'm horrified because I was like 17 years old and I was hanging out with this like... No one's weirder than a guy who owns a place like that. Yeah. Like, he's a shut-in who watches weird movies all day long. What He looked like he was in The Makers. He had, like, a long... <laughs> <laughs> he had, like, 60s beetle hair. You know, he just would, like, sit in his video store and smoke pot and, like, wanted to, like, talk to young 17-year-old girls and burn incense and shit. And I was like, this guy is the shit. Yeah, like, he I sounds would, cool to me. Yeah, I don't, right? I yeah. mean, now I, I, I think it's... He would be like, have you ever seen Female Trouble by John Waters? I'm like, no, tell me more. And he'd be like, I'll make you a video pre-DVD. This was still VHS. So he would like make me a dub of Female Trouble or he would make me dubs of like Herschel Gordon Lewis movies. And just like at the time, you know, it was blowing my fucking mind. I was like deep cuts. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of that. A lot of just sitting around. The big thing for us is the is the correspondence part of it and like getting records and becoming friends with these people that you don't know, you know, like mail ordering records or whatever, yeah. you know, I'm sure you did the same thing. I used to love looking at mail order catalogs. Like I loved the SST catalog and like, yeah. you know, even like the shit that would come in the middle of like um, alternative press, like the sessions catalog yeah, and sessions, stuff. Classic. So what, um, what were y'all's mail orders? Like when you re ordered records, what did you, where'd you get it from? It would stuff like that, like revelation records okay. or lookout. You loved lookout. He loved, <laughs> he was a big lookout guy. Yeah. Oh, I, I was too. I, that's great. And that, but that whole thing is just, I bring this up a lot, but it's just complete. That's over. It's completely lost. Totally. It was so pure. 
based solely on the fact that we all like the same thing and we want to help each other yeah. discover more of that thing. Yeah. And I think there's something really pure and really nice about that when I think back on it. They used to just run distros and yeah. they would order stuff for you. Yeah, like the idea of that is so weird now. Yeah, it's like they're a pusher or something. It's yeah, really strange. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because he like would remember your taste and kind of where you were at. Yeah, yeah. And Pre-algorithm. Yes. Yeah. Human algorithm. Because it was really like, um, you know, it was like a, Hey man, did you get that peachy seven inch in? You know, like when's it coming? Oh my god, he's like, it's coming. Just chill, I and you're, need it. and you know, it's like, will you let me know? And blah blah. Like it's almost like an old world system of it's exchange. Very old. It's very old world. Do you have those spices? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The rugs and the spices. Have they come around the Cape Horn or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for some skins. Yeah. If you have them, I'll trade skins. you. Skins. <laughs> did you ever work in a record store? I did. Yep. At Tower at one point. Then I worked at Criminal, actually. So it was like people would come into the record store and be like, what are you into? Dick, what's this? Uh, it's the new Bell and Sebastian. Do you like it? Ooh, pressure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. What if I get it wrong? I don't want to steer you wrong. What the fuck is that? It's the new Bell and Sebastian. That it's the record we've been listening to and enjoying, Barry. Well, that's unfortunate because it sucks ass. Yours, I assume? Well, it was being on the other side of it, too, which was super weird for me. That's a hard question, especially because how old were you when you worked in a record store? I, when I was at Criminal, I was like 19. Yeah, I mean, that's that's young, you know, to be to be asked these heavy questions. <laughs> Songwriter, performer, and he's kind of friend of the station. Um, he came here a long, long time ago, and he's cool. He's a cool man. Now it's time the portion of the show where I play like my favorite songs of all time. Some stuff by like Elvis Costello and Billy Bragg, and you know all that stuff that I really like. Like I only wanted to go to GSU because of Album 88. In my opinion, and this is pre-working there. It, to me, it was the best college radio station in town and maybe in the country at some a certain point. It Definitely is. in town. Yeah. Just so we have it, Album 88.5 was the college radio station for Georgia State University, right? Mm-hmm. When I was deciding to go to college and stuff, I, I was sort of going, okay, well, everyone I know is going to UGA, uh, and I don't want to go to UGA. You would have fit in really well there, Oh, I, I think. think I yeah. probably would have, I could right? see you in red and black right oh, now. Oh, yeah. I would have a college football affiliation and everything. <laughs> and everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, G- GSU didn't even have a football team. So no. it was like, you know, was like, I'm going to GSU. I want to work at Album 88. I just, that's just the dream, you know? So, yeah. And you knew this at... 17. That's what you wanted to be doing. Oh, yeah. What was it standing in the scheme of college radio in general? It was a huge station because it was 100,000 watts. And at the time, I mean... Yeah, well, at the time, WRK wasn't, wasn't even close, right? No, they were like at 40 or something like that. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it where I lived. Grass was run by the students. It was 100,000 watts, so it was like... Powerful. And it had been around since the 70s. It transformed who I was because I was obviously trying so hard to just be around interesting stuff, things that were just really different. And Album 88 was easy access point to that because you just turn on the radio 
and you're hearing awesome weird bands that no one's ever heard of. I got accepted to GSU. I did winter quarter. And by the end of winter quarter, I was like doing my overnight shift because I was like, that's first priority. Was it competitive though to to get on or or was it you're so gifted that they were like, (laughs) we need you. We're we're trying to pay you actually if you would would accept our money. No, I mean, again, going back to these cultural gatekeepers, there was a hazing process involved. Of course. That's that's what I was hinting at. I would hope hope too, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, show them what you got, bitch. Like, get in there and, you know, prove that you can hang tough. The music director was, at the time, was the coolest dude ever this alternative black guy who loved punk and he loved like all this great stuff and i was like i worship this guy so huge music people and yeah i remember the application was like what are you into what are your favorite bands like what's your gpa was in a tiny corner yeah stressing over this app you know like i gotta get it right gotta show my range this is the real college application (laughs) yeah yeah exactly sunday night slash monday morning 2 a.m all right, well, do an overnight, which meant like having to do a shift in the middle of the night from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. That's rough. The worst shift possible. The, I used to come on after the, the hip-hop show, Rhythm and Vibes. It had been on forever. The best part was that I got to follow those guys, and so I got to know them, and they taught me a lot about rap music, and they taught me a lot about DJing, like actual DJing. Interesting. Again, I'm the student. Teach me everything. And they were super kind to me. Knowing you for a while and knowing, I just know that the college radio experience was like so important to you and you loved it so much. Yes. Because eventually you became the boss. Yeah. So you went from overnights, the shitty shift. <laughs> and then, so what was, what's after that? Like, how does it work? Like what, what comes after that? Once you graduate, you're not, you know, they kick you out. A lot of other places have community. I know it right. Oh, you, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. Like, I know at Rec, you can have a show forever if you want it. I mean, Gavin had a show. Yeah. I paid for a special antenna so I could get Rec. And I listened to Gavin's show. And then I realized that Gavin's show was challenging. Everything he likes is challenging. (laughs) It was a window into what he actually listened to. Yeah. Not what he thought that I would enjoy. It was like just some like weird European grindcore band that recorded on like a four track. I do not want to hear that on the radio. That like shouldn't be on the radio. But I remember being fascinated enough to find out what he was doing that I went and bought the special antenna. I don't know if you remember. I'd hang out that window. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. I yeah. love that. That's it. Yeah. Tuned in a few times and tried hard to That's like follow. And I was do. like. I not going to be able to do it. I wish I could, but this makes no sense. The best time to be on the air is during drive time, like an afternoon even, drive even time. Even on college radio, that's yeah. the same. as Same. It's it's just radio, principles of radio. Yeah. But like, yeah, I started, I started doing like a drive time shift. Eventually moved to like the sweet spot, which is like Fridays from four to six. I mean, that's like. But so. someone's got to be the arbiter and, you know, deciding that, you know what, it's your slot now. You get it. Like how did. Yeah, well, I mean, there was a, definitely some folks that were at Album 88, like this woman, Jez DeWolf, who is, you know, she was a huge DJ there at the time that I was there. She helped me out. She helped me get in and kind of looked after me a little bit, which was great. It was that kind of thing where, like, I think they kind of said, 
all right, well, she seems to be cool and she wants to be involved. And I'd been there for maybe like two years and that's when I came, became music director. And I mean, that was like... So then you're the arbiter. Yeah. Explain to us what is the most important part of, of that job. Well, the music director is basically setting the musical programming for the station. So you're like the person that decides like what the new cool bands are. I know that sounds really weird, but like... That's what it is. I mean... Suddenly people are kind of sweating you because yeah. you have something that they want. Yeah. It was Merge Records flying you to the Bahamas and, you know, like <laughs> yeah. Sub Pop sent you some Dom Perignon, you oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever happened while I was music director is literally like a skill set that I have taken with me to my current job. I have to say that. I was like maybe 20. I'm sitting there as a music director of the biggest college radio station in America. You know, we have power. We have charting power. So it was like the music industry responds to us a lot. Going to CMJ and just like all these people who want to talk to you and you're getting your ass kissed at 20 years old. Yeah, I mean, it was wild. Like, I, you know, I remember that The Cure played at like the Roxy, which is crazy. They had only released like 300 tickets and like they were going for like thousands of dollars. And like, I remember this, you know, rep was like, You wanna go? And I'm like, Fucking kidding me? Of course I wanna go. Like, and I'm sitting there going, Oh my God, this is the dream. It was weird because you're young and People in the industry are basically just wanting to be pals with you and it's this weird dance and you don't know how much of a dance it is and you're kind of like, I'm friends with all these people. This is great. Is the threat that you might be feeling yourself too much? I'm, uh, I'm in charge. I'm in charge here. <laughs> well, I'm always uncomfortable with being in charge almost. You know, you're sort of setting some kind of agenda, right, for music or for tastes in your community or wherever. There's what I like, and then there's what I think other people will like, which is, I think, what ends up making people good programmers or good... Like, I never wanted to be like, well, I'm on some next level shit and no one gets it to me it was more like there's things that i enjoy but then i also think that there's music that other people would enjoy and was sort of feeling like giving the people what they want as well as what they need that probably is exactly what you need to be able to do that job oh, well yeah it's totally necessary yeah i feel like i remember you having a smith show at like um i had a show called hang the dj that's the one i'm thinking yeah. of. okay sure sure that was on saturday afternoons i would call in sometimes oh I, yeah i believe yeah 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 i do a little call in I loved doing that show because it was like, it was stuff I liked. You can literally play what you want. There's not a chart involved. It was really kind of my own thing. So, you know, it was all the stuff that I kind of grew up listening to, like early Brit pop, indie pop stuff, which was really popular at the time. So there's no pressure to feature some new band or some new record? The regular rotation was a little bit more of a... You program things you want, but then you also, you have to strike a balance. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to, you know, you know, oh, I don't really like them, but somebody will like them. I'm trying to think of a, a band that we, like um, Death Cab for Cutie was kind of just coming out. And I know they're one of your personal favorites. You love them, right? <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Love all those feelings? Yeah, you have a lot of feelings. So oh, I yeah. figured, yeah. I, I really think a lot about them. Uh, <laughs> But I remember listening to them going, oh, like... It's a hit. People like this. Yeah. Look at that cover. This is going to work. Yes. Even though it's not necessarily my thing completely. You look at CMJ, you looked at their charts, and you're like thinking, okay, this is what all the other college kids are into. Well, and you're representing all those college kids. You right. Know? Okay. We all know that the dismemberment plan is... And I actually like them a lot. Well, but, that makes know, one of us... Or <laughs> 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 all right. The cheese stands alone. I get no, it. I get it. 
as program director, how many nights a week are you going to see bands play? Like music is 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 your life, right? I oh, would yeah. imagine every night. Every like night. multiple shows a night. That was Jesus. craziness. And you were going to South by Southwest and mm-hmm. CMJ and all of those things that that were part of that. It was like a great time to be in college radio and a good time to be in music. I mean, this was like late 90s, so there was still money. and Pre-Napster. Yeah, pre-Napster. Here. Okay, that's what we call it, yeah. And I'm so young, and I'm like hanging out with like bands and industry people. And I loved that whole experience because that's kind of what I thought I wanted to do with my life. There's something interesting if you went through high school feeling like, I don't really want to be the person that's like the ambassador for all of these things. But then you have more influence over that than almost anybody. Reluctant. Reluctant influence. because it does. You are tuned into WRES Atlanta 88.5 on your FM dial, the 100,000 watt student-run voice of Georgia State University. And it's time for Hang the DJ. Hang the DJ. Hang the DJ. Every Saturday, 1 to 3 p.m., the best in pop music, we play pop of all kinds. Actually, this is kind of a special show. Not only do we have a special guest, but we're going to pay homage to one of the greatest bands of all time, in our opinion, here at Hang the DJ. Blur! Yes, Blur, they're 10 years old. So for the first hour of Hang the DJ, we're going to play all Blur, and we're going to try to go in chronological order. We're going to get things started out, something off of Leisure, which came out in 91, I think. And this is uh, for Blur. Happy birthday or happy anniversary, whatever you want to say. So you are tuned into album 88. Hang the DJ. Well, now I'm a programming manager over at TCM. Turner Classic Movies. Turner Classic Movies. It's a network that focuses on film. You know, we play movies uncut and commercial free, which is also very similar to working college radio. I've been there for like 12 years now. and Wow, really? Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't really realize that. Yeah. Why not music? Like, why, why did you not choose to do that for a living? I would have. I mean, it was like really bad there was no job to no jobs and i remember even like a year or two prior getting a job offer when i was still in school to come out to la i can't remember the label i think it was like grand royal or something awesome like that and i was like i will fucking leave college and go work for this awesome label that's awesome but then like two years later that's all gone it's all gone so i it was this weird moment where i just assumed that that was what i would do because i was like oh well i have all these professional contacts and i've made a lot of headway in this music world i mean it almost was like a blessing because i probably would have been unemployed and a lot of people that i all the people i networked with for five years at ras they were all looking for work too and they were all out of jobs and Obviously, you love film, and that's been, I'm sure, equal to music throughout your formative years. But what really set that in motion? Well, um, totally because of somebody I met from Album 88, a guy that had come on my radio show, Hang the DJ. He was a local DJ in town, and he was doing a night, and he wanted to come on and promote it. And I was like, all right, cool. So we started talking, and he was like, well, what are you what are you doing in school? And I'm like, well, I'm a film, film major, and what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I will take any job, <laughs> but you know, if I worked in film or music, that would be tremendous. And he was like, well, I work at TCM. If you want to give me your resume after you graduate, like we should talk. And so, all right, do I move to New York or LA for the music industry, or do I stay in Atlanta? Because this is pre the boom 
right. of the film business in the South, in Atlanta specifically. That's the only game in town, really. Turner was like big, a multinational corporation. If you wanted to do television or film, it was really the only place. Yeah, I mean, media in the Southeast, that's it. Yeah, it was that kind of thing where like, where is the opportunity going to take me? Now, when you first started there, was it TCM Underground, like programming specifically? Was that the first... When I started, I was basically brought in as to be an assistant to my boss, doing expense reports and booking travel and stuff. All the fun stuff. All the fun stuff. And actually, my boss, who is still my boss. Wow, really? Yeah. That's incredible. Still my boss. You got a good one then. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, he's probably as close to a mentor that I have ever had. I mean, he really shaped my career. And I remember him specifically telling me, like, don't expect too much. Typically, you're going to come here, you're going to like be my assistant, you're going to make 30 grand, and then you're going to go and... Break out. Yeah, like his old assistant did or something. But the good thing was is that he, I think, saw something in me and was like, I think she wants to be a programmer. I think she's got the programming mind. Like He knew I'd been a music director at RAS, so I have the skill set, and he just like encouraged it. He gave me programming tasks. So it wasn't until like about a year that the underground thing started. So walk us through underground and what that is. I think it's really interesting, and I, I think a lot of people don't really realize that job even exists. Right. TCM Underground is basically what we call like a franchise. So it's like a late-night franchise that comes on the network uh, Saturday nights at like 2 a.m., and it's essentially our version of Adult Swim. I don't even know if that's if that's an apt or metaphor. Was it, was it like you were 120 minutes? Yeah. The theory behind it was that it was going to be that thing that came on in the late night that was going to show the weird stuff. Yeah. So it was definitely influenced by that type of thing, by night flight, by USA up all night, like all these things from childhood where you would just turn on the TV and you're seeing some cult movie or some weird TNA thing or whatever. The idea was actually created by this guy, Eric Weber, who is still at Turner, but he's not at TCM anymore. He had already pitched the idea like at some point, I think even before I got there, and they were kind of like, eh. But then I think it was just like one day, he and I kind of met, he was a marketer and I was a programmer. So we realized that we had the same taste and stuff and we we're like, let's do this together. I mean, this idea had been kicking around. They just decided, let's try it. And what, what year is this? This year is the 10th anniversary of it, so 2006. And at some point, the company shook up a little bit and Eric left. And so then it's just been me doing it. So, <laughs> so you, <laughs> so you will look at a calendar and then you will decide which movies to license to play on, on the network during your show. Right. So underground is my own thing. And then I also do general network programming. So basically, you know, I program movies all throughout the schedule, but underground is definitely like my own. And you can get kind of weird. That's the whole point. Right. So it's not about like what I like and that's all. The metrics for what I choose are basically movies that are either truly underground, stuff not on DVD, stuff that no one's ever seen. It's just basically tr trying to play anything that's just weird and interesting. Sometimes it's really truly underground. Sometimes it's not. It's just, you know. Who do you feel like you're putting this together for? I'm totally happy with the idea of somebody coming home, maybe drunk, stoned or something, and then turning on a TV and being like, what is this? That's all I care about. Like that to me is like the measure of success. Now, I'm sure that there are 
really hardcore film people that think I'm not going deep enough. Like I'm not getting like, you know, the day the clown cried or like some shit that like is really like no one's getting it. I've never heard of that, but I'm interested. (laughs) Now I'm interested. It's it's not all like horror movies. It's it's everything. It, it can be funny. It can be gross. It can be weird. I try to keep it a, a large range of things. You know, aerobics movies that came out and were funded by studios, and that just, you know, these sort of like passion projects from like really rich guys that are just like, I'm rich. I'm gonna make my own movie. So it's like that guy's movie, and then like a studio made movie. It's I think it's all under the umbrella of what Underground is. Anything I've ever done related to television happened so much faster than I ever thought. Yeah. Like, we're going to do this, and then it's going to be on tomorrow. And you're like, you sure? A network like TCM, I think it's like in 80 million homes, like in America. not saying that all 80 million people are watching, but it's out there. And it's like, okay, we're we're hitting play. This is going out there. Yeah. People are going to see this. I know. Working on things large enough to where you're like, millions <laughs> you of just people. do that. And you're like, yeah. you want me to push the button. I know. I'm a child. You're sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. Somebody's got to do it. I mean, you know. But it's something about like television and certainly radio that's way realer. I mean, certainly radio instant. Mm-hmm. And there are times where you're like, you go out to a bar and they're playing it on the television. So it's like in, it's like in the ether. Yeah. And that can freak me out a little bit. Okay, so we're non-commercial, so we don't get ratings technically, right? So we don't know like the share that that we pulled from this thing. So it's a lot more based on like press, social media, like these kind of well, because we don't play commercials. So you know, if no, you don't but, pl- but like why why would they choose to invest in that? You know, you're working with media people and they're moaning about the ads. Yeah. Occasionally, you bump into some media organization that oh, we don't have ads. We don't have banner ads or yeah. whatever kind of ads it is that, that bum you out. And you're like, we can't all be WNYC or yeah. you are yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And like yeah, basically the rules that govern most don't apply to you because maybe there's public funding or you have John D. MacArthur Grant. grants and things. Blessings. Yeah. Yeah. And so why is that possible? Right. Well, I think that that was a Ted Turner thing. He wanted TCM to be what it is. Like, And I believe this too. I mean, I think that there are public good areas that public broadcasting, like NPR, like things like that, that are important. He's a huge movie person and he's really a big champion of classic films. I think he saw TCM as his place to really do that and to do it right. I mean, we all talk about how we're just grateful because now I think the company is obviously sustaining that. My wife's folks both worked at Turner for 30 years. Yeah, Glenn and Becky Boyette, uh, they ran the scene shop. Oh, yeah. When they speak about Ted and all the stuff that he put together, it's it's interesting. And they have a very... Positive. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a unique take on it, you know, because they were you know in the circle. Does he comprehend what you're doing? Like, because you do some wild shit. Like, it's a deep dive over there. I don't recognize most of the stuff. So is a guy like that, you know what I mean? What What is the... He's not been with the company for a long time. I think he... You know, he don't leave the ranch, yeah. so... But I think that he... I think he's he's a kind of guy that like had a lot of money and did some cool stuff with it, which I totally admire. Me because, too. Me too. Because not not only at Turner, but I think he's he's woven in the infrastructure of our city. Like I feel like he is Atlanta. Like he was the guy that bought the Braves when they were totally shitty. And Have you heard how well the Braves are doing this year? Built him into this like amazing worst to first team. Wide drive, left field. 
he's brought this huge entertainment industry to our town. I mean, he's... 24-hour news. Yeah. Does Atlanta get the Olympics? So much stuff like that. NBC's coverage of the opening ceremony. Fulton County Stadium in the distance. The Braves will move across the street to Olympic Stadium. This will become their ballpark after it's reconfigured from 85,000 to a little less than 50,000. Atlanta's first couple, Ted Turner and Jane Fonda. Among those in the crowd, Bruce Willis, the completely shorn Demi Moore. We are as valuable as the cable operators see us, you know? The business model is based on subscriptions. So basically, it's a, it's a distribution thing. Right now, it's so volatile in cable, and there's so much stuff happening. So I think that we're bracing ourselves for some kind of seismic change. Now, whether or not that means we evolve with it and like we're cool, that's what every channel is thinking. What are we providing? Where's our value? How can we make it translate to whatever this new thing is going to happen? That's the good thing about TCM is that I think it's really unique. People value us, which is really important. Well, I'm curious your thoughts on something like AMC because one of my first jobs in New York working with Steve Fritz. I love this guy. We did all the, you know, the AMC brand and website and all this stuff. And at the time they were American Movie Classics. Right. And we met with them and they're like, we're going to be just AMC. We're going to start doing original programming. And we got this show and it's going to be amazing. It's called Mad Men. And at the time you're just like, all right, whatever, man. The universe is indifferent. Cool guy. Go for that. I think a lot of people even forget what AMC was before. Oh, sure. They were our competitors in the 90s when they were playing classic film. I mean, they were our competitors. They've got Mad Men and Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead. I mean, they're like a completely different thing now. And I think that they maybe thought, okay, well, we got to change our business model a little bit. Like, we're going to go original content is, the, is key. You own it. You don't have to play ball with rights and this and totally. that. Totally. Yeah. And that's the thing about TCM is that all of our content is from others. You know, we work a lot with Janice Criterion and, like, all the other major studios. And, yeah. Now, I mean, are it's... you involved in the acquisition, the back and forth of trying to get the rights to play something? Is that a big part of your job? It is for underground, certainly. There's, I think we were talking about this earlier, but technically the season, quote unquote, starts the last Saturday in October. So from that October to the next October is like one entire cycle. You know, you think about what are the movies? What can I get access to? What's not going to cost me trillion dollars? Who do I know? Because, you know, the world that I'm in is kind of complicated because, I mean, you have some studio material, but it is, a lot of it is like forgotten stuff. So you're like calling up, you know, someone's estate. Yeah, Some yeah. Guy. Or call it like, you know, or like you get these really extreme filmmakers who are like on one maniacs, and yeah. they're like, you know, trying to get in touch with them. That's why it's really helpful for me to go through what I call brokers. basically guys who are out there collecting film rights being the middleman between like television which is me and then like some avant-garde filmmaker living in new york yeah, in like yeah. a weird apartment so it's like it's just going out there and see, seeing what's out there which is fun it's like being a detective a little bit i try to make it simple but it can get super complicated <laughs> oh i can't even imagine calling some guy's landline that lives in the middle of nowhere who wants the money oh yeah and like wants the whole thing like you know he, he needs the money Oh, yeah, that can get kind of hairy. The cool thing is you do meet, like, amazing people. 
I just went to LA and went to Penelope Spheris. I don't know if you know her. She's a uh, filmmaker. She made the decline of Western civilization oh, documentaries. Yeah, yeah. She actually, her most famous thing is Wayne's World. She directed Wayne's World. You know what I'm talking about, right? You, you could have led with that. We yeah. were, you know. <laughs> I wanted to lead with the punk thing yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. She's an incredible filmmaker and she's such an interesting person and like, you know, she made amazing movies, but she, you know, her, uh, she made a bunch of short films when she was a student at UCLA and they were doing a screening of it when I was in LA last week. This job has led me to meet people like her where she's like super interesting and she's this creative woman working and she's, you know, had commercial success, but she's also an artist. And so I've met a lot of great people through the underground thing, you know. I feel like it's interesting that you've been a part of the end of a certain version of the music business. Yeah. Now we're experiencing this, at least a change in television. Well, I don't know, man. There was a part of me that was thinking about this like a while ago. I was like, why do I keep working in these dying industries? <laughs> why <laughs> like, am I drawn to death? Why am I doing this? It's like, why couldn't I have just worked in like pharmaceuticals? Ah, new print. Little. Yellow. Different. <laughs> or something like a thing that will never not. You got to bring the latest shit to. <laughs> this is the cool drugs. Yeah. Have you heard the new drugs album? It's really yeah. good. Like it's really, it's really cool. The earlier drugs, though, I tend to like a little bit. Yeah, I prefer that. I yeah, prefer that. You know, this first listen. seven inch is better. <laughs> this is like a really rare, uh, limited edition pill. That for me was like I think the biggest thing about punk rock, hardcore, counterculture, all of it was oh, there's this version of life available. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, you look at people like your heroes. You know, these are like cool old art people. And they still make cool contributions and they still are in the world. You know, maybe they didn't have kids. Maybe they just like had a great studio in New York. And that was always a big inspiration for me is people who continued to be who they were and were still doing it at 50, at 70, at whatever. Those are kind of like these role models that don't get talked about a lot. I always think about that because I like think about, okay, like look at a guy like John Waters, man. It's like he, he's continuing this trajectory of the person he was when he was 19 years old. You know, he's able to do it. And how do I do that? That. Like, how do I keep going and stay cool? And hopefully you stay cool. But I think that's a more interesting role model than a lot of people. I agree. I think it depends on what you want to be contributing. If the arts are important to you and you want to be contributing to that, you got to just stand strong because if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. And at the end, you know, when it's all over, you'll probably be happier and feel more successful. That That's something that I aspire to, you right. know, is to be able to, I don't need to be young forever. I don't need to hang. I, that's not, culture is so obsessed with that and we're so youth obsessed and that's never going to change. But there are a lot of people that are older that we can look to I just feel like there are people in the world that are like, they're just always wanting to make creative things happen. They just want to be involved. It gets harder when you get older to be able to kind of just stay there and be, especially to be successful at it and to be profitable at it. But like, keep in mind that it has happened before. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have to worship like a mommy blogger or something. Like I'm just, you know, like I can do, I can, there are still cool people in the world that are doing cool shit. You know, it is harder out there. It's, it's what what's put in our face is not necessarily what I'm attracted to. Yeah. But if, I mean, I think all three of us have been committed to to looking 
below the surface for so long that that's not going to change yeah. because of societies. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's something evergreen about the fact that we felt compelled to get on a plane, come down uh, to Atlanta, you know, have random conversations. And like, this yeah. is this is super fun to me. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. The, the yeah. good thing about they're not being cultural gatekeepers or any kind of gatekeepers anymore is that there are many points of entry now. So like, if you are a person who wants to do something cool, you have you have more opportunity to do that than ever. And you have sure. more opportunity to like sort of put cool things in the world. Oh, the market is flooded, but the good still rises. Oh, it's that's still not rise. an issue. There's still good taste, despite there being a ton of content. There's still Yeah, and that's all I care about. Good taste is I'll live and die by that. That's like <laughs> the most that's truly the most important thing to me. And that's why I'm I think that's a part of the reason that you and I are even friends. Oh, you know I, what I agree. Mean? Like I agree. that's what you have yeah, in common. That's that's the Chris Black currency right there. It, that's all I got. I got nothing except a little bit of taste. And if I can apply that, hopefully people will will, you know, be attracted to that. Well, I'll just tell you right now, I have read a profile about you in a magazine and I bought a hairbrush that you recommended. Yeah. Yes, so yes. you did your work. God, thank God. Yeah, there <laughs> so we go. You are a teacher. I can die now. I can die now. Thank I you. was like, oh, man, he's on those Mason Pearson brushes. I got to get one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is a true story. That's I swear great. to God. That's great. I swear to God. <laughs> so you are contributing. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Oh, this is awesome. It's great to have you. Yeah, this is a fun conversation. Yeah, thanks so much. This has been super fun. You were at the top of my list. I just knew that um, I thought it'd be nice to, you know, put it to tape. I know you love the idea of being a drive time radio DJ. Hello, it's Chris Black. You love me. Just wait on it. Just wait on it. Lots of traffic on 85 North. We're going to be right back with a song from Bush. Off their album Razorblade Suitcase. Could never get over Razorblade suitcase. That name is so 90s. It like sums it up. It's a holy grail of like the worst name for anything. <laughs> what would that be a good name for? Name one thing that would apply apply to, unless it's an actual suitcase with actual razor blades in it. Uh, who uses that? You can't even do drugs with that. I mean, if you had a lot of coke. But you also need a suitcase that's not razor blades that has coke in it. When I think of razor blade suitcase, I don't think of one made of razor blades. I think of one full of razor blades. Oh, no, I got the drugs. Jonathan, you bring the razor blades. How many razor blades should I bring? Like two or three? No, dude. <laughs> bring the suitcase. Say no more, fam. Bush is in town? Oh, it's Bush. I got it. I got it. I, I got thought it. you meant that the suitcase was actually made of razor blades. <laughs> so it's like, how could you even carry that if the handle's made out of razor blades, which is a fair, you know, a fair concern. <laughs> a suitcase made of razor blades, you got a machine head. Got a machine head. That song's pretty good, actually. Yeah. I've done no research here, but I bet they had five singles on that record. They also were a band that had a bald guy. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did. I think a bald guitar player. You know, that was a thing. There was that. There was the band Fuel. Very post-grunge. Ooh, they suck. 
If you write all the songs, you can have whatever fucking goatee, haircut, glasses you want. Lawless. Law- Anything you want. Right off in the sunset. Yeah. Fuck you. You should have some leathers. And I've got leather pants. I've got some bracelets. What's that guy's name? I can't even think. Butch Vig. He also lives, I think, I think he lives in like Minnesota. Because he produced like Nirvana and shit, all of that stuff. Like you got to come see the. So you got to go to the the cabin or yeah. something. I could be wrong because there's a new garbage song, not by Bush that sucks. Like <laughs> garbage, the band put out a new song that people seem to like. I mean, what is wrong with us that we actually are interested in this conversation? Yeah, nostalgia is a powerful tool. I think that if radio hadn't died, then Millie would probably be a radio DJ. That's what she would be doing. Yeah, and you would be super jealous of her job. No, I would be maybe a co-host. I could be the, you know, they throw it to me for traffic, you know, on the fives. I think that we were maybe born just a little too late for all that, you know. It's just not the right moment. I completely agree. I think every generation thinks that, though. Everybody wants to be that generation. Imagining themselves in the 70s. My conscience. That's still an interesting. What happened back then? He was like, nah, I'm good. I'm busy for a while. I'm not going to go to come. It's called the draft. Would you rather go to jail or go fight in a war for a a limited amount of time? I think that the war might be like the corporate world where you can hide out a little bit. You would have been like a tech guy. You would have been like... I'd be translating something for somebody somewhere. They would have put my doofus ass on the front lines with a gun like in there, big guy. Kill somebody. Yeah, Jay's got the Latin longitude for you. (laughs) Here's where you go. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah. And I wonder about the beloved millennial generation. I would say that I wonder to myself. Suddenly we have phones in our pockets and no one needs to remember phone numbers and everything's just available. The reason that we've called you millennials is because you've got this first. And we come up with a clever name to make fun of you forever. The media's killed it with that branding campaign. Well, you know, I don't appreciate it because I just realized I am a millennial. No, I know. I'm well aware because I hang out with people who are core millennials, is what I like to call them. I guess we're more cusp. Fringe millennials, if you will. I consider myself a fringe lineal. Like, I, I'm not really fucking with the, the core values. But I guess some of that shit is seeping in because I'm out on the fringes, like, absorbing. Yeah, you're just out here. That's definitely true. I'm just out here. And I can't be categorized. Don't try to put me in your box. New York Times, don't make up a word and apply it to me. Yeah, well, that's my closing thought. (laughs) You've been listening to Public Announcement. I'm Chris Black. And I'm James Ellis. This week's show was produced and edited, as always, by Jim Nicholas. With additional help from Paul Phelan. And the entire public announcement family. We'd like to thank Millie DeChirico for doing the show. And for digging up solid gold from her extensive archives. And to John Ortfed for coming on to explain the merits of... Beautiful punch that I, I drink every week. You can follow him Chill at, fam, chill fam. We'll, we'll link to him 
and Millie on the website for normal people who use the internet. Oh, yeah, that's better. I, I hate when shows spell out words for you. Spelling doesn't matter. Hell no, nah, man. Google knows all. Thanks to Bryce Franich and the Colonel Records family for the analog gear. And to Ayad Aladami and Diamond City Studios. A lovely studio in the heart of the edges of both Chinatown and Tribeca. And a special thank you to Aaron for sorting us out at the top. Oh, I see what you did there. Hey, man, I'm a pro. Shout out to Hufflepuff, too. What do you want to make the very last thing this week? No, I got this, man. Millie, take us out. All right. Uh, you were tuned in to album 88, and um, this is, well, that's the end of Hang the DJ. I just wanted to say real quick before you give any kind of final sign-offs that I think you've just done a, a brilliant, brilliant, fantastic job. I was always like, wow, that Millie girl, she's got it together. <laughs> and uh, the station is definitely oodles and oodles better because of your involvement here with it. Well, so, thanks. Yeah, thanks really. Appreciate it. No, I mean, this is it's awesome that you're going to be taken over. And this experience has been, like, totally life-changing. And this, it's the best thing that I've done in my life. I uh, listened to Album 88 growing up, and... You know, I was like, one day I will be there, and it happened. And, I mean, I don't think I would have ever met these people if it hadn't been for this radio station. And, I mean, it's totally changed my life. It's weird. It's weird that I'm going to be leaving, and it's weird that, yeah, that's it. I, I don't know what else to really say. So, um, okay, I'm going to leave now, and hopefully um, everybody will keep in touch. I'm going to leave you with um, something that I think is, I guess, appropriate as the last song, and that's... Um, the song that the show is named after, which is the song called Panic by the Smiths. The Smiths are, they're my favorite band of all time and they've totally changed my life and I just feel that I should play this. So anyway, I'm gonna get off before I say something really stupid and I'm starting to cry, so that's not good either. Anyway, here it is, um, signing off. This is Millie. Um, thanks again for all the good times. I love you all and hopefully you'll see you soon. Bye.
thought. Oh, Chris can sing. Yeah, yeah. I've heard him. 